Welcome to Wealthy Behavior, talking money and wealth with Heritage Financial, the podcast that digs into the topics, strategies, and behaviors that help busy and successful people build and protect their personal wealth. I'm your host, Sammy Azuz, the president and CEO of Heritage Financial, a Boston-based wealth management firm working with high net worth families across the country for longer than 25 years. Now let's talk about the wealthy behaviors that are key to a rich life. Welcome to the November Investment Edition of the Wealthy Behavior Podcast, where I talk to Heritage Financial's Chief Investment Officer, Bob Weiss, about what's going on in the markets and the investment universe right now. Welcome back to Wealthy Behavior, Bob. Thank you, Sammy. So what is going on? I I noticed that recently, just kind of following the news that we had three negative months in a row for the market, the S&P, that ended October. We're recording November 2nd right now. The markets appear to be in a pretty optimistic mood today and this week. I think there's been some good news on the yield front. The 10-year yields have have backed up. So what are your impressions as you've followed things along since the last time we've recorded, but also just the last few months? Yeah, so yields have been climbing this year in, in the after the first quarter. First quarter, they fell and they've been basically um, climbing and pretty rapidly in, in Q3 um, with the 10-year treasury that the people look uh, closely at um, touching 5% uh, a few weeks ago, and, and that got a lot of attention. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast and the webinar we did, um, but part of what's been driving that is what, what people call market technicals from the treasury issuing new debt. So um, you know, think, think like economic supply and demand, and as there's an increase in supply from the Treasury having deficits and um, from all the kind of nonsense in Congress with the, the uh, debt ceiling, um, there was a, a flood of issuance and that pushed yields up. And with higher yields, that obviously impacts the bond market directly. But the stock market has been, uh, I think, adjusting based on that as well um, uh, on two fronts. One, just the fact that, OK, tre- 10-year Treasury yield is now 475 to 5%. It's been trading in that range. So what should stocks be valued at, um, as opposed to when yields are, say, in the lower fours. So that's been adjusting. And then there's also, I think, just kind of a lingering concern of, like, are we done um, at 5%? Is that is that going to be the the cycle high in Treasury yields, or is 6 around the corner? Is 7 around the corner? And those um, start to get to be kind of scary numbers for markets um, on a number of fronts, if we were to see those. Um, so the good news is we haven't. As I said, it touched five and it's been down. And um, the, the the Fed had a meeting earlier this week and did not raise rates. And overall, I think it's what they call a dovish uh, press conference and notes that um, they, they could have said like next meeting, you know, there's a decent likelihood that we'll raise rates, but they left the door open. But um, market odds of seeing a rate increase again um, this cycle declined. So it's it's like a 20% chance of a rate hike at the December meeting now and going into the meeting, it was higher than that. So the markets um, backed off a little bit on expecting the, the probability of the Fed raising rates and, and also the market has been digesting new treasury issuance well this week. And as a result, uh, bond yields are down, bond prices are up and stock prices are up. That Wednesday Treasury auction, is that what you're referring to in terms of the market has 
adjusted to treasury issuance? Because I know there were fears that that auction would not go well. You and I talked about it earlier this week. What were the fears and, and what did we see? Yeah, the, the fears were that that just really simply um, there aren't enough buyers for treasury debt as the treasury comes to market with you know, over $100 billion in treasuries that they would have to think it's like a it's an auction. Like if you're going to an auction for art, you know, um, you have to sell it. And just with treasury, they have to sell it. And if they have too much, then they have to sell it at a higher yield and that you would break through that 5% level. And we did not see that. In fact, we saw yields come down. So the market absorbed what they had to issue and, and we're, you know, moving on. So um, that that's, it's been good news to see treasuries stabilize and even decline in yield. Um, so that's it. So I know we don't know what the market is, quote unquote, thinking, right? But in your travels, and we both attended an industry conference recently, I know you talk to a lot of professional investing teams, investing consultants, you talk to your own team. So you know at least what people are thinking, whether it's flowing through to what the market is doing. Do you feel like the new focal point of the market uh, is the 10-year yield and we've moved away from concerns about Fed rate hikes and inflation, which were driving so much of the narrative? Uh, I th think there's kind of three topics. Um, yes, the, the treasury yields, that, that's a focal point. And inflation, I mean, it, it's still certainly a headline that, that needs to be, uh, we need to pay attention to. But the third topic I, I would add, and I'd put that they're all like equally important, um, is recession watch. And I know that it was kind of recession watch was the topic for 2023. And I think we, we still need to um, be aware of that. And, you know, something, uh, a theory I've heard, you know, people um, say that that does make sense to me is when you look at things like leading economic indicators, we should have been in a recession a while ago and we didn't this time. So some people say, well, why not? You know, what, what happened? And there was a ton of stimulus from COVID in 2020, about $5 trillion injected into the economy. So consumers, um, you know, had extra savings in the bank, companies had extra savings. So we went into this hiking cycle with strong balance sheets and that's starting to run out. So there, you know, charts we could show on like um, excess uh, household savings and it's being depleted. Um, so that, that's something to watch. And then on the second front with the labor shortages that we had, uh, if you think back to 2021, um, companies in many industries like construction, for example, or hospitality had a hard time hiring people. And now if you're, say, say you're in real estate and construction and, and the jobs are drying up, are you as quick as you were historically to lay people off? Or, well, now I finally have a good crew and, you know, it was hard to get these people and um, maybe as the business owner, I'll just, just ride out this period. Um, so you might see companies a little slower to um, lay people off compared to previous cycles, which can just extend it before the inevitable recession comes. So you said something uh, that uh, stocks and bonds were both up recently. And over the summer, we saw that stocks and bonds were both down uh, at the same time. I think people expect that the the relationship doesn't work like that. That you know, stocks and bonds move in opposite directions. Of course, that's not always true. But how would you educate folks on the stock bond kind of directional interplay? It's 
complicated. Um, it it depends on the environment. There are scenarios where um, they are correlated and move together, and and ones where they're not. Um, it's it, like in, in this environment where you have yields creeping up. That is a um, headwind for stocks because you know if bond yields are rising, that means bond prices are falling, but it also means bonds are getting more attractive. It's very simple. If a bond yield goes from four to five, well, I like it more at five than I did at four. So then all the sequel, I should like stocks a little less if I'm like a dynamic asset allocator. So as bond prices are going down, then you have stocks going down. Um, and then also vice versa, as bond yields fall, then stocks can become a little more attractive. Um, but where you get the inverse relationship that you're talking about is in what you call flight to quality. And that you, you specifically see that in recessions. If it's okay, if recession's coming, economy's gonna slow, um, time to you know buckle up and, and get in safe assets, that's when people buy treasuries. And um, it's one, it's buy safe assets, but you could also look at it as front running the Fed because you can anticipate a Fed rate cut coming. So time to buy those four and 5% you know, treasuries because uh, Fed will be cutting rates and you won't be seeing those yields anymore. Um, so you'll get appreciation in treasuries while stocks would uh, potentially struggle in, in that environment. So th it's sometimes th they move together and sometimes they don't. It depends on the environment. Sure. And you touched on three things that the market is is focused on uh, right now, right? In answer to my question about whether it's all about the 10-year yield, what are your thoughts on those three things? And you know, how do you see them playing out or impacting portfolios? Yeah, the, the first one um, that you said, inflation, it it has been sticky. It's taking time, but it, I do think we we will get through this cycle with inflation getting back down on the Fed's target. So, um, not very concerned on that front. I think we are moving in the right direction. Um, I was a little concerned about oil prices. We've talked about that, but that's pulled back nicely. Um, something to watch, but that has come back down. So I think they will, and the Fed has been so clear that that they are very focused on price stability, i.e. inflation, and they'll, they'll get that under control. So I feel confident in that. Um, second one, the 10-year treasury. Um, again, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you know, seeing that the kind of um, the, the support for treasury is at 5% and below on the 10-year and how the market absorbed the issuance this week and we haven't seen them just kind of blow through that level. Um, and you, you mentioned the industry conferences and talking to other people. There are a lot of buyers of treasuries at, at four and five percent. I mean, mathematically, they have to be because there's you know thirty trillion dollars of treasury debt out there. Um, but people are interested, and um, that that's what we're seeing in markets. So um, it, it's I view it as a, a tail risk, a, a remote risk, um, but unlikely that you see a, a more severe outcome, such as a seven plus percent yield on treasuries. Um, and if people wonder why why I say that's severe, because on one hand, you'd be like, I'd, I'd love treasuries at seven or 8%. What's wrong with that, Bob? Well, the problem is that the government has to pay the interest. And if you're paying 8% interest on $30 trillion in debt, uh, mathematically, you um, start to run into some uh, financial problems. So we, we don't want to pay 8% interest on our treasury debt. Um, as a country. So um, yeah, on the second one, so treasuries, it, it's more of a remote tail risk that I think we see it get to uh, real dangerous levels. So um, 
not overly concerned there. Um, of those three, the one that I'm concerned the most with is the recession. Um, it's just, it, it's part of economic cycles. It's not um, something that that is typically avoided indefinitely. Recessions do come and, um, you know, seeing a Fed rate hiking cycle going from ZERP, zero interest rate policy for a long time to five plus percent interest rate policy. And you hear about the delayed and lagged effects of monetary policy. Um, it, I think it, it's there's a very decent possibility that it, it eventually sends us into recession. Eventually can be, you know, five years from now, we get a recession and you were right because we were been talking about it for seven years, not you personally. But I, I would imagine you think eventually is it more within this cycle and this compressed time period that we're looking at. So I guess I would ask maybe you and, and to speak for others, potentially, what would you need to see to make it feel like that recession risk is off the table in the short term? Off the table, I, I think if you get inflation back down to that 2% level, the two, two and a half percent, then, you know, you're not dealing with a combative Fed, but the, the Fed kind of think of a car and there's gas and brake. They, they, they're very simple and they're either, or you can do neither, but I mean, they are on the brake right now because inflation is above target. And um, when you have the Fed with the foot on the brake, um, I think you're at risk of a recession. So until Powell is not restrictive, um, and is happy with where price stability is, I think it, it should be on your radar. So when we get where they want to be, and until then, there's things to be cautious about, which which makes a lot of sense. How have the international markets performed, Bob, while the U.S. markets have been doing their thing? It's Markets have pretty much pulled back about the same, like just looking at a trailing three-month number, Um U.S. down about eight, international down about nine. Um, so markets in general have um, pulled back about equally over the last few months. You know, we've had some podcast guests recently and ones that are coming up that I've talked to who are big fans of an allocation to the S&P 500. You know, just index forget about it, move on. It's really diversified. It's extremely difficult to beat. It's low cost. And I know that you agree with that mindset, but not necessarily the narrowness of that recommendation. What is your viewpoint on indexing versus active management and maybe some of the perils of, of just owning an S&P 500 index fund as your, your stock portfolio? Yeah. Indexing by itself, um, is a, a, a good approach to invest in. The question is what index? And you suggested the S&P 500. That happens to be one of the best performing indices over the last 10 years. Who knows? If if it were the other way around and, and say the S&P were, were one of the worst performing and had a lost decade, would we have had those guests or would those people have given that advice or would they have had a different index to recommend? So I, I think the, um, in general, the advice of indexing is a good one, but then there are so many indexes out there. Which one to choose is, is a very difficult one. And people, um, it's just in kind of human nature to get caught up in performance chasing and look at what indices have done well. And uh, U.S. large cap happens to have been one of the best places to invest over the last 10 years. And that 
can mainly be attributed to some of the top holdings in the index. Like that's how it got that high. The Magnificent Seven, they're they're now called, and um, those stocks do make up a, a disproportionate part of the market. Um, I saw a note from Goldman Sachs today that is advising clients to invest overseas because of that reason, in that they say, in if you look at the U.S. stock market relative to GDP the U.S. market is much more expensive than foreign stock markets compared to their GDP. And also the concentration of these big companies in the index when you have companies that are like 7% weights as individual companies. Um, so the S&P, it, it, it is a good index. I would be a little cautious about the time now as far as indexing. And that's where I would be, you know, just I'm more of a fan of diversifying much more broadly by holding accounts number, like in the U.S., beyond 500 stocks in the U.S., more like 3,000 stocks in the U.S. and globally. Um, you know, people like to hear stories about like why overseas and Novo Nordisk is, you know, one in the news now and how, um, you know, they're doing well and you want exposure to that stuff in your portfolio. So tell people why uh, they're doing well. It's, it's kind of an interesting story. Yeah. It's the, the weight loss drug that, um, they're that excellent. Yeah. How that's it's I mean very early stages and some people say it's the next AI with um, how obesity is a, a big problem worldwide and um, I think the the trial results for that are coming out quite strong and the, there's so much demand that there's not nearly enough production and um, you know it's a company that makes it but it's an overseas company so but you want exposure to that so um, I, I would diversify globally and you asked about active versus passive. That's a tricky one. If if you're doing it yourself, I would um, probably lean towards passive. Um, but we do think on the active side, you can find good active managers. One of the keys is to keep fees down. Um, you can buy active managers at you know higher expense ratios, lower expense ratios, and we're able to get institutional class shares that um, retail investors typically couldn't get on their own, um, and just being thorough with due diligence and discipline and investing in, in selecting those managers. Right. Thank you, Bob. And I do think, and not only do I think, I, I know after the last decade, 2000 to 2009 with, with the S&P, there wasn't a lot of clamoring for, you know, can you just build me an S&P 500 centric portfolio? So not blaming folks necessarily, but I, I do feel like your point, which you let off with about it is great and simple advice that you can follow, but it's also coming at a time when the S&P has knocked the cover off the ball and that has not always been the case with that index compared to other ones. Yeah, I actually ran some numbers. I had a client question on um, related to this on bonds. Like the, it, we actually got a question during the webinar. Um, I wonder if it's the same person, I don't know, but they're, they're like, you guys like bonds, but I look at the historical returns of bonds and they're terrible, why should I own them? And so I, I ran um, a chart over two periods. I did trailing three years up until mid-March of 2020. So right kind of at the COVID peak as far as like hitting the stock market. So the trailing three-year return in uh, this is March 20th, 2020, bonds were up 11% and stocks were down global. This is global stocks, MSCI Acqui, down 23%. So someone could look at that and say, well, last three years, stocks have lost me 23%. That's terrible. Bonds, less risk, and they're up 11 So bonds are great. 
Then if you go, if at that point, say you switched, you sold your stocks, dumped them at down 23 and bought bonds that are up 11. Well, what's happened since then? We know rates have risen a lot. So um, since then it just totally reversed. Bonds are down 10% and stocks are up 62%. So, you know, as professionals, we get this, that, you know, to some extent, what goes up comes down, what goes down comes up. Uh, mean reversion is very powerful, but I think it's very difficult for investors to, um, it, it, there's a tendency to look at historical returns and then act on it. And what you don't want to be doing is buying the best performing assets and selling the worst performing assets. Typically, even the reverse is what you want to be doing. Yeah. And that webinar you've referenced a couple of times is our fall market outlook webinar, which we did on October 12th. That was you and Michael Waldron, our director of portfolio management. And people can go to our events page uh, at heritagefinancial.net and click to watch the replay uh, if they missed it the first time around. So, Bob, I, I referenced we've been to some industry conferences. I know you've talked to some folks. I don't know if I'm getting cranky in my old age or I'm just tired from all the traveling that I've been doing recently, but I've come away from these investment presentations that I've uh, been listening to lately that everybody's kind of saying the same thing. Everybody's focused on the same, you know, two or three things that that you're focused on. And this is where the crankiness comes into play. They're just, they're not saying anything differentiated or unique or, or interesting about it. You know, talk me off a ledge. Am I just, do I just need an app or have you found, yeah, the more I'm listening to people, the more I'm hearing the same thing these days. No, I think you're appropriately cranky. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, it is a it's a kind of simple story by by count that there's just a, a few factors, but they're very important, um, and it's what to watch. And um, it it's also I, I think pretty well documented that um, making directional calls on interest rates is very difficult. I saw a, a study once presented where. They look at um, like the Barron's Roundtable and the like Barron's Magazine. And at the beginning of the year in like January, they have like the top 10 Wall Street strategists and they, they ask them a bunch of questions like what's your forecast for the 10-year treasury at year end? And forget about like the exact number. They just, in the study, they just said, is, is the projection higher or lower than the current level? And they, they didn't even bat 50%. Like they were more wrong than right just directionally if rates were going up or down. And that so um, when one of the the main driving factors is rates, and it's just it's very difficult to forecast interest rates. I, I think you get a lot of people who are just like, "Yep, these are the risks, and we don't know," and that's not very fulfilling to hear. All right, I'm, I appreciate you letting me off the hook there with my uh, uh, crankiness. I've been sending you some stuff on I bonds. Is it I bonds or tips that I've been sending you stuff on? Tips. All right. Well, that that would be the first question. What are the difference between tips and, and I bonds? And I feel like people haven't allocated to tips in a long time, particularly, you know, our team. There's been a uh, a lack of a, attractiveness to to the to the investment type, but they're getting more attention now. Why is that? And are you paying attention to them? Yeah. So tips are treasury inflationary protected securities. They're treasuries that have a inflation component. So you basically get the coupon plus plus CPI. I-bonds are a type of bond offered by the government, and I believe the most an individual can purchase is $10,000. So because they have that um, ceiling, and I think you have to buy them through Treasury Direct, it's something that we 
as an investment team haven't really looked at because it's not implementable across our clients. Um, so that it's something you can't do in, in scale. But tips are interesting. Um, what, so they're good to protect against inflation. Um, the kind of what's held us back with tips historically is because they're long-term, typically long-term bonds with an inflationary component. Bob, when what, you say long-term, are you talking, are they 10-year duration or, or ten, like? You can buy them on the run, really. So you could buy any any maturity you want, but an average tips fund typically would carry um, an ag-like or or higher, like a like a five to 10-year duration maturity. Okay, sorry, yep, got it. So you, you have some interest rate risk there. Um, so if you have an environment where inflation ticks up, you get protection from the CPI component kicking in, but you'll have downward price pressure from interest rates rising. So what um, I heard someone say, say it nicely, that um, it neutralizes inflation, but as opposed to being a nice hedge against inflation. So we, we do like things that zig and zag. So if you have an inflationary environment, well, hopefully you have something that performs well in that environment. If you have a deflationary environment, hopefully you have something that performs well in that environment. Tips are meant to more just like kind of neutralize inflation, remove it from the equation. So you get the same outcome no matter what. Um, so that they're, they're decent, more attractive now than they had been historically. Uh, I think they're priced for about a two to two and a half percent real return. So return um, above inflation, which is attractive for treasuries. But it, it's it's not our best idea in fixed income. So that sounds like more of a longer term uh, objection to the investment versus. No, I, I could see myself investing in it, but it's just not right the right opportunity set today. Yeah, that, that that's fair. Okay, what else is on your mind, Bob? Uh, what else? So I mean, just things we're looking at as we get to year end uh, um, with bond yields increasing. We're looking at municipals possibly increasing our, our allocation of municipals around a call earlier today. And municipal yields are, are pretty much the highest they've been in 20 years, um, getting tax exempt in the four plus percent range. Um, and then also just with bond yields being higher, looking to increase our total um, allocation to bonds, uh, possibly coming from real assets, possibly coming a little bit from stocks. So um, those are some things to look at. Maybe something to mention for listeners, we have a new cash management solution, FDIC insured account that we're opening up for clients where we're, we're getting a 5% yield on cash. You know, not too long ago, you'd have your uh, working capital account or savings account and wasn't earning anything at the bank. And now there are solutions to get good yields on that cash. So maybe run your, your operating account a little tighter and, and get some yield on your excess savings. To end on a kind of a fun fact or a lighter note, I actually don't know if this is lighter, but uh, I saw Dr. Joe Coughlin from the MIT Age Lab speak at a conference, and um, he talked about health. and He said um, if if they're they're looking at retirees, I think is where he really did his um, study. But to answer, you feel lonely, have loneliness in a survey. That's as bad for your health as saying you smoke 15 cigarettes a day. So he was really targeting um, retirees and uh, men in particular who retire and aren't socially active. So, you know, get out there and, you know, interact with people. It's good for your health. 
Um, he said, you ask people what they plan to do in retiring. And it's like, oh, spend time with family, friends, travel. But in reality, when you then survey retirees, one of the biggest differences between what you did when you're working and when you're retired is watching TV. The average person who's working watches 100 minutes of TV. The average retiree watches 270 minutes of TV. So <laughs> just some uh, more lighthearted things, but get out there and be social is the takeaway there. Bob, you are a full service chief investment officer giving health wellness, retirement, and investing advice. I love it. Uh, thank you for your time today. As always, I think your insights are extremely useful to our clients. It's always a privilege to be able to get into the mind of a chief investment officer who's uh, managing uh, a large amount of money for individual clients and appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Amy. How to Build Your Next Million, Heritage Financial's ebook teaches investors about the tools and strategies that can help them save, keep, grow, and protect their assets. This free ebook can be accessed in this episode's show notes and on our website at heritagefinancial.net. Thank you for listening to Wealthy Behavior. If you found the conversation useful, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode so those around you can live a rich life too. We appreciate your feedback and questions. Please email us at wealthybehavior@heritagefinancial.net. For more insights, subscribe to our weekly blog at heritagefinancial.net and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Check out my personal finance blog at thebostonadvisor.com. Wealthy Behavior is produced by Kristen Kastner and Michelle Kakinis. This educational podcast is brought to you by Heritage Financial Services, LLC, located in the greater Boston area. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast or that of the speaker are subject to change and do not constitute investment advice or a recommendation regarding any specific product or security. There is no guarantee that any investment or strategy discussed will be successful or will achieve any particular level of results. Investing involves risks, including the potential loss of principal.